0: This is Scott with Fig Tree Ministries. In today's teaching, we're going to look at how the biblical writers use plants as a metaphor to help their readers understand more complex or abstract ideas. So the text we'll be focused on is from Jeremiah chapter 17. The prophet Jeremiah uses a particular plant that grows near the Dead Sea to help us understand the character of people who don't place their trust in God. So to fully understand Jeremiah's message, we have to know something about the characteristics of the plant in question. A simple English translation, such as bush, that is inadequate to understand the idea that Jeremiah is trying to convey. Now, awareness of plant metaphors can also help us understand our New Testament. Jesus uses numerous plants to help his listeners understand difficult or abstract ideas. We hope this video will introduce you to an aspect of the scriptures that you may not have considered before. Enjoy this teaching on Jeremiah 17 and the use of plants as metaphor. Last week we did the resurrection and that's it's a heavy topic really gets you thinking about you know especially when we got to the wisdom part how do we walk in the world but Because that was so heavy in today's Christmas, I thought, let's just do something really light. This is easy, and it's kind of fun because this is a text that you guys have read probably a thousand times, and so,
1: God willing, you'll look at it today in new light. The main topic is going to be the biblical use of plants as metaphor. Now, we've done this before, when we did the mustard seed, uh, we looked at something called an Atad tree, how the Atad is uh, in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 9. So the Bible writers love to use plants. We're going to see a text where there's a plant in it, but our English is woefully inadequate. Okay, so if you would, let's turn, uh, it's going to be in Jeremiah chapter 17. Lots of pictures today, so that makes it easy.
2: Okay, so Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Verse 5, this is what the Lord says. Now, we have to pay attention what Jeremiah is
1: about to do here. He's going to make a comparison. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Now, that's, this is key to our understanding. He's comparing two different types of people. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Now, what do you think the other person is? Trusts in God, of course. So there we go. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws on strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. And I think we can all identify with people who do that, or maybe at one point in your life you did that. Now he goes into his metaphor, that person will be like, so we're going to, he's about to compare it to something. And my English Bible says, a bush. Now, this is going to be our main topic today, because what does that mean, right? So that person will be like, a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. And then here's one of the keys to how do we figure out which bush. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Okay, so that's one side. Verse uh, 7 now begins, But blessed is the one, and you can see there's the opposite, who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water. Now, the Hebrew there is tree. It's the same tree that's tree of life. So you can see there's probably the image of tree of life. It's a tree planted by the water. That sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. That's, you can see where John in Revelation talks about the tree on the, next to the River of Life, and the leaves are always out to shade the nations, and there's always fruit on the trees.
2: It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So we've got
1: Jeremiah making a comparison. Two people, one who trusts in man, one who trusts in the Lord, and his metaphor is wrapped around a plant. Our English, I don't know what your English says, NIV says bush. Does anyone have anything
2: different? would you have? Is like a tree in the desert? So what we need to talk about then
1: is how important it is to understand what plant this Bible, or the prophet in this case, or Jesus, or any, anywhere in the Bible, what plant they're talking about. So plant metaphors become very powerful. One reason that it becomes powerful is it takes an abstract idea, the good teachers are always looking for a way to take something abstract that's often difficult to handle and pull it down into something concrete. And so that's why when we talk about God, which is very difficult to get a handle on, it's always a king, a father, a shepherd. Because that way you go, ah, I know what a shepherd is. Also, you can't deviate too much from shepherd. If all of us have an understanding of shepherd, and you say, well, God is like a shepherd, then your mind doesn't go wander off and think, plumber, because you wouldn't confuse the two. And so y- you look at, but, but what's, what's more is you look at the qualities of a shepherd. What does a shepherd do? Oh, that's God. He's leading his flock. He takes care of you. He tends to your needs. He leads, you know, it's all the things that the Bible talks about. So it makes an abstraction very concrete. Now, what we want to do is we want to look at the specific plant, if we can. So where you can, look at the characteristics, much like um, when we talked about the mustard seed. Well, there's variations within the mustard family, and so if you get the one that explodes in contact with the ground and takes over your garden, that, now you've got a bigger picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. It's an explosive force, and once it gets hold of something, you cannot stop it. That makes it come alive. Okay, and of course, within that are the characteristics of the plant itself. Now, there's strong positives to this, meaning it makes the abstraction concrete. It deepens the story in simply using one plant. But one problem is, what if you're a Westerner born in San Diego? Right? Well, now you got to figure out what the plant is. Because if you're in Israel and they mention a Todd tree, well, you know what that is. You see them all over the place. And you know the characteristics of it. But here in San Diego, we're Westerners. We go, well, what the heck's in a Todd? I don't know. Call it a bramble. And that's what our, you know. That's how we get these translations. And, of course, people study plants and try to help us do that. That's what scholarship is. So the strength is it makes it concrete. The The weakness is you might not know the plant. And, you know, it's just like if I said the kingdom of God is like kudzu. Well, if you've never been in the South and you don't know what kudzu is, then you say, what are you talking about, kudzu? But if you lived in the South and you've seen how kudzu takes over everything, Now you've got the imagery of, okay, you get the point. All right, so if we go back to the, to the
2: Jerem, oh, I'm sorry. Rewind. All right, let me give an example. On the left, your left, is an oak. On the right is a reed. Now. If you hear the word
1: oak, give me some characteristic or a descriptor. Now, why did everybody come up with the same answer that I came up with? Why do we all come up with that answer? Because you know it. It's, it's built into you. If you're talking strong, it's
2: oak. Because you know the characteristics of an oak. What about a reed? Well, yeah, no, the... It
1: bends. Now, that, so, now, I put weak, but it's not really correct. It's more of, it's more of what you just said. It bends, it bends with the wind. So weakness, you know, reeds, if you actually go up to a reed and try to tug one
2: apart, they are actually tough. So a better way of looking at it is if we go like this. An oak stands firm in the wind. A reed, on the other hand, will bow to the
1: wind. It doesn't matter if it's from the north, the south, the east, or the west. That reed's going to bow over wherever the wind goes. Okay, now,
2: if you take wind as a metaphor for politics, what is the old Bob Dylan song? The answer is blowing in the wind.
1: Okay, so when the political winds start to blow adversely, how are you supposed to stand? Firm, like an oak. But what about people who just, "Ah, whatever happens next, I'll bend to the will of the political power. You're like a reed. Now listen to the words of Jesus. He says, he turns to the crowd and he says about John the Baptist, What did you expect to see when you went out into the desert? A reed blowing in the wind? Was that John the Baptist? No way. In fact, somewhere around 600 A.D. at least, I'm sure it goes farther back than that, but Aesop has a fable, the oak and the reed. So the oak and the reed comparison had been going around through stories because the people can pick up on it. They understand the idea. So when Jesus says what did you see a re- or expect to see a reed blowing in the wind he's referring to the fables about the oak and the reed. And of course the people know that's not John. John was an oak and he stood up strong to the political winds and what happened? They'll take you out, right? So if you stand firm in the wind as an oak, the problem is You might end up like that.
2: Now, what happened to Jesus? Did he stand firm to the political winds? Yeah.
1: And that's even when, if we think back to our discussion about the resurrection and these stories that come from the Maccabees about the people who stood firm in front of the political oppression and God said, I will vindicate your death if you do that. It's not for nothing. That's the, that's the idea
0: of the, the martyrs.
1: Okay, just in that sentence about John the Baptist, he's pulling in plant metaphors that speak very loudly to the audience. And so it's important to go, well, if he mentions reed, what's the opposite of reed? It's an oak, and that's John the Baptist. All right, so we go back to Jeremiah, and you get this sentence here. So he will be like a bush. Well, which bush? What are the characteristics of a bush? And so if I say you will be like a bush in the desert, all of you, no matter what, will come up with a picture in your mind. The problem is I don't know what picture you have. And many of you, since you've traveled out to the desert, we live in the Southwest, you have a picture of a desert plant. But I, but I don't know what it is, and is it, does it match the characteristics of the metaphor? So that's where we get... It becomes difficult because you're going to insert some picture in your mind for Bush. Period. Yeah, a tumbleweed. Who knows what you come up with, but it's probably not Israel. It's something like California. If you only grew up in Ohio or Michigan or something, you, you don't even know what to do because you've never been in a desert. Here, at least you've seen a desert. Okay, so this is what we need to figure out. What the heck is he talking about? What's that Bush, or why does our English say Bush? Okay, our reference is this. It's this book. I'm going to pass it around. Where the yellow sticky note is, is the plant we're talking about.
2: Okay, so this is your old friend, Noga Haravini. You all know Noga. Uh,
1: Desert and shepherd in our biblical heritage. So pass that around, and you can see the page that has the plant that we're going to talk about. So Noga Haravini, I I put this down on your sheet. He was born in the 1930s in Israel to Mr. and Mrs. or Dr. and Mrs. Haravini, and they were both botanists. Now, Noga went on to follow in his parents' footsteps, and he became a botanist as well. And they actually have a plant preservation in Israel that you can, that's still actively being run today, where they've built different landscapes of the, the, the plants that you find in Israel. So what his parents did was they went around Israel trying to solve every plant mentioned in the Bible. And the problem we have today is we only find this word in our Bible three times. So it becomes tough to figure out which plant are they talking about. Because when I show you one of the other references, you'll say, that doesn't look anything like a plant. Okay, so this book will go around. You can take a look at that,
2: and I put that information on your sheet as well. Okay, so just describe what do you see in the image. A very green bush. Now, why would you have to use the word very about the green bush? It's in the desert. How many other plants do you see around? There's a a scrub bush right behind it, but... Here's the Dead Sea. This is the Dead Sea right here. So it's all salty. A lot of leaves, the leaves look healthy, don't they? Now, imagine You've been walking across
1: that desert. You know, one of the great images from the biblical image of chaos is when you're in the desert and you don't know the path to walk. That's what the Bible writers image as chaos. That's why you need a shepherd who's going to lead you through the chaos. And so maybe you've been there in your life where you suddenly find yourself in a desert with no tracks. You don't know the path to get out that's called chaos okay so we look at this let's say you're you're coming across that desert you haven't seen a plant in miles it's hotter than anything you're thirsty and you're hungry and suddenly you look up and you see that
2: and what's your first thought water now at a distance how does it look Looks
1: beautiful. I mean, you can't believe that something that green would be growing out in the middle of nowhere. Now, what's amazing is as you get closer to it, and now this is tough. This picture was taken in January, and I'll show you why I say it's tough. But as you get closer to it, you notice that there's a fruit hanging on it. Isn't this amazing? A fruit tree growing out in the middle of the desert? Now, this fruit right here, again, January, that's an early fruit. By, the, by summertime, that thing's as big as a grapefruit. Now, can you imagine walking across that desert? You see this amazing-looking plant, and you notice, wow, look at the size of that grapefruit. And your mouth begins to water as you can picture the pulp and the juices in the inside that are going to be so refreshing. And if you grab that thing, it feels like there's it's got something on the inside. You're excited. Then you go to open it up. You pick the fruit and you open it up and it looks like that.
2: In fact, when you open up the fruit, you can hear a as the air pops out.
1: Okay? What do they call it? Good question. So on the inside of this fruit is nothing. There's a seed and then there's a bunch of these strands. In fact, the plant is not user friendly at all. You can't do anything with it. You can't eat it. There's no, there's no. Uh, from what I understand, it pulls the water, it pulls the water vapor from the air. So it's not even got roots down to like a well of sorts. And you'll be moving along near the Dead Sea, and you'll go for like a mile, and there'll be one of them standing there. You'll go for another mile or two, and you'll see another one standing there, very randomly standing around the Dead Sea.
2: So the fruit in it is nothing. It's empty. Now, that right there is what
1: Mr. and Mrs. Haravini call an arar. So everyone say arar. An arar, because that's what Jeremiah says. The one who trusts in man will be like an arar in the desert. Now, you have to figure out what does he mean by arar, because he, this word only shows up three times in your Bible, and two of them don't look like plants. So I'll show you why they come up with that. Now, I put on here the Hebrew because I need to show you there's a word play going on with sounds Jeremiah's doing. The, this plant, Arar, is spelled Ayin-Reish, Ayin-Reish. In Hebrew, there's two A letters. There's an Aleph that's an A. There's an Ayin that's an A. So you can have two words that sound exactly alike but are spelled different. So this is, I'll show you in a minute why, but Ayin-Reish, Ayin-Reish, Arar.
2: That's the plant. Okay. The Bedouin tribes, these are Arab Bedouin
1: tribes. The Bedouins are the people who still live in tents. They're often the shepherds. They're a bit nomadic. They call this the apple of Sodom. And their tradition says that before Sodom and Gomorrah, before they sinned, in the days of Lot, this fruit used to produce, or this tree used to produce fruit that was good. And then when Sodom sinned, the fruit went to this, it became the apple of Sodom, to nothing. But one day it will repent and God will restore the fruit. Now that's Arab tradition, but it's because it comes from this land. It's tradition that goes along with the land, whether you're Arab or not. Okay. That's one, one thing they call it. The second thing they call it is a
2: cursed lemon. This is the one that really gets us close to the word arar.
1: This is the name of the bush, arar, spelled ayin, re, or, yeah, ayin reish.
2: Okay? The word curse in Hebrew is pronounced arar. Does that sound familiar? Yes, but it's spelled differently. It's spelled an Aleph-resh-resh. So you can
1: have, that is Arar, that is Arar. So if you say Arar, now i got to figure out which Arar are you talking about. The curse or this tree. And so it's a, there's, there's a number of really cool Hebrew, wor- that, that Hebrew words that sound exactly alike but are spelled different. And then you can connect them. And it's really wild how you can connect them. So here's what, this is what Jeremiah says. He says, cursed Arar, or it's because it's a, it's a participle. It's pronounced a little bit different, but cursed Arar is the one who trusts in man. He will be like an Arar in the desert. And there you get this word play that's going back and forth that picks up on this tree. But Hebrew is very much like, um, Arabic. A lot of the the languages around there sound very familiar. So even a cursed lemon can have the same sounding word that's cursed in, in Arabic. So you can see where they come up with a name, and that name would have a familiar sounding. Does that make sense? Okay, it's really cool. What what Jeremiah does this a lot with, with words that sound similar. He's he's playing on those words. So you have an arar
2: tree. And curse me is arar. It sounds the same, but spelled different. Okay, so there's... Cursed, arar, will be like a bush, arar. All right, so here's
1: what we have to look at. If he says you're like an arar in the desert, and they're talking about that plant, now we have to say, well, what are the characteristics of that plant that make Jeremiah say, That's what a man who trusts in himself looks like. Because it's really about the... Yes! It looks great on the outside, but what about the inside? Full of air, it's empty, it's death. Yes, it's just, there's nothing there. But man, do they look good on the outside. Have
2: you ever met an Arar? Have you ever been one? Okay, so let's go now. uh, Here, if we look at, so what is an arar? And this is why that
1: this, if you understand the plant, the whole metaphor of what Jeremiah is saying starts starts to come together in a way that you've never seen before because it's different than just bush. So an arar looks healthy on the outside, doesn't it? From a distance, wow, that person really looks healthy. They look like they have their act together. But as I move closer to them, I realize, you know, all that glitters is not gold, as they say. Right. So it appears to bear fruit, doesn't it? Because you can see the fruit on the tree, yet inside of it, it's that it's an emptiness and a and a death in a sense, because the tree is good for nothing. It's cursed. Yes. Maybe shade, but they're not very, it's not very big that you can slide under that. There are other shade trees. So a m- number of years ago, I was talking about this topic and a young man in there in the room came up to me afterwards and he said, he said, man, that was me. He goes, before I met Jesus, that's what I was. And I knew it. He goes, I. I acted like I had everything put together, and on the inside was death. And literally, he was not in a good place. And his when he came to to know Jesus, he got restored. That's the amazing part. There's redemption. You know, he's like, I knew I was an Arar, but I didn't stay an Arar. That was his his main point. Okay, what are some now besides? Have you met an Arar? What are some modern day
2: arars that we know of? And I'm just going to show you two that I think off the top of my head always come up. Have you ever? I mean, when your motto of the city is "What happens
1: in Vegas stays in Vegas," that's a problem, right? I mean, you're and you know when you drive over the 15, if you've gone out headed that way at night, you you crest that and you have the black desert and it looks like a jewel. In the middle of that desert, you almost, you know, if you're a kid in the car, wow, it looks amazing. And that's how people feel when they go to Vegas. Everything is put on to make you feel rich. and But what's lurking underneath? Emptiness. And people's lives are destroyed. And it's you know, the, the gambling and the drugs and the, all the stuff that goes along with that, and the fact that people go there because they have this idea that if you go there, whatever you do there stays. Well, that's not always the case.
2: Yeah, what stays there is your money. That's right.
1: Yeah, your money's not coming back with you, that's for sure. Okay, so that's just one, but it's the idea that it's something that looks attractive on the outside when you get close,
2: Another one I would say is this. Because who has the biggest, the
1: largest PR department in the world? Hollywood. They have to keep their image on the screen. They want you to think that everything that happens there is magical. And, you know, you see the flow of young people from across the country who want to be famous and they go to Hollywood. And what we don't see are the ones who leave empty-handed, or worse. They leave with their life actually destroyed from all of the junk that goes along with Hollywood. And it becomes this uh, a rotten underbelly, so to speak. So the Arar is still, that metaphor is really amazing. If we, It still exists. It's an it's a amazing metaphor to use in the Bible. Okay, let me show you real quick uh, one other place. So if you want to turn to Psalm, we can flip the lights back on. We'll finish with this. One of the other places that you see the word Arar pop up is in this Psalm, but it's actually kind of cool the way that at least the Har- Haravinis see it being used. Psalm 1, I know the word well, no, the blessed is the tree is the one who's, yeah, the tree is going to be the tree of life. Tree, X, instead of Arar. Arar is, th- this word only shows up three times. Okay, so now this is very obscure. There's not in a million, billion years, you're going to read your Bible and think, oh, that's the bush that grows uh, in, by the Dead Sea. Because the text, this is the NIV the whole psalm is talking about someone who, who's repentant and they're, they're, they're praying to God, they're reaching back out to God, and they're in a, in a humble way. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. Now, would you ever guess that that's the word arar? Not in a million years. Because it doesn't make sense to say he'll respond to the prayer of a bush Right. So then what kind of bush is it? Well, it's a destitute bush. So he'll respond to the prayer of the destitute. Now here's what they note, is if we take a look, if we look closer at this
2: bush, look at the direction the leaves are in. And they're praying. It's a a posture of prayer. So they notice that They use the same word, arar, and you say, ah, the bush is crying out to God.
1: And maybe, you know, when when God does restore the heavens and the earth, maybe the arar will get its fruit back because it's crying out in a
2: posture of prayer to God to say, I repent. But it is pretty interesting that they would pick
1: up on that, the especially this leaf right, you know, you see these, they're all pointing up like they're in prayer. So it's just kind of a cool, another little nuance to the word.
2: But again, not in a million years, you're going to pick that up in English. Okay, that right there, that, that destitute is the word Arar. So there's that close up again. That's it. Isn't that cool? It really broadens Jeremiah's
1: what he's saying. It takes it to a level a, a level of depth that says that's a very specific use of the word for bush. Very helpful to know what that means. It's funny I had another picture of this bush, right? And it was a little bit wider and i thought oh maybe i can show something wider in the landscape well we're at this is right outside masada so if you've been to masada there's the tramway and at the base of the tramway i looked around the corner and there it was i was like oh hey there's there's an arar bush all right let me get some photos well these people were walking on the path there's a path right here if you take the snake path down from masada this path is right here So I had this great picture, but there's three people in the background walking, you know, makes the
0: picture not look so isolated. Anyway, so yeah, that's where that picture was taken. Thanks for joining us under the fig tree for today's lesson. If you like this video, be sure to hit the like button below and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell to be notified every time I upload a new lesson. You can also check out more teachings here at our YouTube channel or at figtreeteaching.com and enjoy learning about the sweetness of God's words.